You're listening to the Mormon Expression Podcast. Find us on the web at mormonexpression.com. Mormon Expression is made possible through your generous support. Consider a subscription or a donation today. And thanks. It's time for the annual listener essay contest. Essays must be recorded in any audio format and be less than 10 minutes dealing with any topic in Mormonism. And the winner will receive a $100 prize. Essays may be submitted by sending a message to mail at mormonexpression.com. We look forward to hearing your entries and good luck. And finally, the Mormon Expression annual live event will be August 6, 2011 in Salt Lake City. It's going to be a fabulous evening filled with music and the spoken word. Get your tickets now by going to mormonexpression.com slash tickets on our website. We look forward to seeing everybody there. Welcome back to another edition of Mormon Expression. I'm your host, John Larson. And tonight we have another great panel to discuss another great topic. Uh, first of all, we have Alisa. Welcome back, Alisa. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Now, you've been with us a couple times, with the, uh, mostly with the books, right? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did uh, Mormon Enigma. All right. Well, this is kind of like a book tonight. Um, and then um, joining us for uh, uh, Travis, I can't even remember where you're at. Where, where are you at? I am down in Texas. Oh, wow, Texas. Well, yeah. welcome to uh, Mormon Expression. Again, you were with us when we talked about Saturday's Warrior. That's right, yep. Well, I, I'm glad to have you back. Good to be back. And um, Heather, you're, you're starting to rack up your appearances. Welcome. Yeah, I'm starting to become a regular, I think. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And then um, batting cleanup is... Um, Zilpha. Hi, Zilpha. I don't even know what that means, so how can I do it? <laughs> Batting cleanup? <laughs> no, I don't know what that means. Oh, what? Uh, well, I'll explain to you later. That's, that's a good idea. Um, so tonight, uh, th- this is another one that we've been talking about doing for a long time. I've been looking forward to. Um, we're going to talk about Battlestar Galactica. Woo! Um, so, and, we're, and I don't know if we'll get as much into the new series they they restarted in like 2001 2003 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which was an excellent series oh yeah very yeah, well done very well acted it's a fun one mm-hmm. but we're going to talk about the original um from yeah. 1978 oldie but a goodie well uh, yeah i did i i actually didn't know there were two until fairly recently um my first time hearing about battlestar galactica i was uh reading Holly Welker's dissertation. She was on, uh, I think, talking about the new Mormon ad campaign. Uh-huh. But in her dissertation, she talked about a Sunday school teacher who would constantly make references to Battlestar Galactica, and it annoyed her. And then uh, <laughs> soon after that, my brother called me. He's like, have you been watching Battlestar Galactica? And I was just in my head, isn't that kind of old? What is it in reruns? <laughs> you know, after several decades. But, but, I'm, but I appreciate this opportunity where I was finally able to watch them. Yeah, l- luckily, and maybe this spawned it, it is available on Netflix for for um, streaming. Actually, the whole, both both the new and the old. So you can all run out to Netflix and watch the original series. Spend a few months with <laughs> yeah, Battlestar yeah, yeah. Galactica. <laughs> um, so uh, before we talk about the original series, uh, let's talk a little bit about Glenn Larson. Um, Glenn A. Larson is a was a big-time producer during that era. Um, and he came up with a lot of shows that if you watch TV in the early 80s, you probably watched. Um, 
the probably the, the most famous ones were Battlestar Galactica. Right after that, he did um, Buck Rogers, <laughs> which was kind of a more comedic version. And I, and I read on the internet that they used the same. They reused the, the sets. Um, mm-hmm. He Why did not? the Fall Guy, which was Lee Majors, the six million dollar man's triumphant return to TV. And he did um, Knight Rider. Knight Rider. <laughs> and you can't forget Magnum P.I. Yeah. Oh, yes, and, and Magnum P.I. Wow. I was going to point out that um, both the Cylons and Kit, the car, in Magnum P.I. <laughs> yeah. have the Cylon <laughs> shuffle or whatever, the little light that goes back and forth. Kit, the car, and Knight Rider, not Magnum Oh, no. which, <laughs> which I heard has been dubbed the Larson Scanner. The that Larson red Scanner, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so he wouldn't give up on the ideas, I guess. Now, good old Glenn, um, was a Mormon and I have not found any evidence to suggest that he was ever, when I was a kid, they always said he was an inactive Mormon or, you know, but he has done several interviews where he's talked openly about his Mormonism. And the best I can tell, he stayed sort of loyal in that sense. He never threw Mormonism under the bus and it's clear from Battlestar Galactica that he was a big fan. <laughs> um, so so Glenn, I don't know. Th- and this was his big. This was his big TV breakout. I'm not sure he has. If you go into IMDb, I'm sure you can find a lot of stuff he did before. But this was his big show, Battlestar, yeah, and obviously he he helped write it all through the all through the season. Well, he started writing it what back in the. Late 60s, if I remember right. And one of the writers from Star Trek was helping him out for a little bit. And Yeah, he spent um, a lot of years writing the script. And then and then I don't know where they got the funding, but it was like a million dollars per episode or something horrific. Well, I think the important thing right. to keep in mind is like 1977 is Star Wars. Right. You know? So suddenly yeah. there's a budget for um, science fiction pieces like this. One other thing I wanted to, to say that was interesting to mention was that in um, July 1977 in The Enzyme, Spencer W. Kimball put out an article called The Gospel Vision of the Arts, in which he essentially called for Mormon artists to to step up to the plate and represent the gospel on film or in other artistic mediums. And I can't, I can't help but see like, could Glennie Larson have been thinking that's me he's talking to That's a prophetic charge to me, you know? And um, science fiction is really kind of an ideal medium for didacticism. So uh, kind of a good fit there. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, of course, yeah, it's it's right after star Wars um, and Mm -hmm. um, 20th century Fox actually sued um, and you can read things about that. Um, and then the, which studio produced Galactica? Do you guys Universal? remember? Yeah, mm-hmm. Universal countersued and said, well, you know, Star Wars took all these stuff, all the stuff out. And of course, George Lucas um, claimed one of his big influences was the hero with a thousand faces and then samurai movies. So he was pulling in all this sort of cultural stuff. And while Galactica has a, a whole bunch of Mormon things in there, it also pulls from Greek mythology and from other right. myths that, that are around. And especially the reboot. The reboot really doesn't have as much to do with Glenn Larson's Pearl of Great Price Mormonism as it does sort of a, a play on Greek Greek right. mythology. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The remake, you know, there's traces of Hinduism and, and it's a, yeah, it kind of strips away the Mormon elements. It, yeah, it does. So, well, let's um, no further ado with Glenn Larson established as a Mormon, and 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 this is not this is not secret. I mean, everybody knew, and Glenn, I think, openly talked about the fact that they were putting Mormon elements into this. So mm-hmm. it's it's not like Orson Card trying to sneak this stuff into um, fiction. And by the way, do you guys read Orson Card's review? He hated it. He hated. Yeah, Battlestar. I actually wrote down a couple really? of those quotes. 
Yeah, there's um, some funny ones. <laughs> yeah, he really didn't like it. But I've just got to say before we like get into the, all the discussion of the actual show, I was secretly hoping the whole time I was preparing for this podcast that you were actually related to Glenn Larson. No, he's he's got an O and I'm an E. He's a Swede. Oh, um, and I'm a Dane. Yeah, I'm I was hoping we'd show up here and you'd be like, I'm so oh, glad someone asked that <laughs> yeah, he's going to join us on the podcast. Tonight. No, and I really, and I, I have to admit, I didn't dig really deep, but I didn't get a lot of background on, you know, Glenn and where he came from and all that sort of stuff. So, um, I'll just leave it at the fact that he obviously is a big fan of the Pearl Grey Prize and has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He does, yeah. And oh. he was a he was a consulting um, producer. Now, I've I've heard before that an exe- when you see executive producer. That means you lent your name to it and you cash the checks, but you don't do anything else. So mm-hmm. I don't know how much he did consult with the the reboot of the series, but but he was definitely involved in the first one. Mm-hmm. All right, so not everybody who listens to this podcast uh, grew up in Zion. Um, so let's start from the beginning. Let's start with the Pearl of Great Price. <laughs> you look like you had something to say, Zilpha. No. So the Pearl of Great Price... Um, well, so Joseph Smith, let's, let's go back. Uh, I, I like to always tie it all together. Joseph Smith writes the Book of Mormon and publishes in 1830. And then shortly thereafter, he writes the Book of Moses, which is part of the Pearl Great Price. And he doesn't make any, like, there's no head in the hat. There's no stones. There's no, like, mummies. He just writes the damn thing. With, with partners. Um, he had uh, a oh, group yeah, of well, them work together on it. Yeah. So, so, and he just said, hey, I got this directly from heaven, blah, blah, blah. While he was working on the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible, right? Yeah. That was one of the first, that was one of the first things they, they did. Um, but fast forward a, a little while and in Kirtland, um, I can't remember the guy, Chandler or whatever, is coming through town with the mummies. Oh, I guess I was confused. That's when he had help. I don't know about the Moses Oliver helped him. Oh, he was okay. translating the the Bible when he wrote okay. the M- Moses in in eighteen thirty. Um, so he, he gets these mummies, and of course, this is right about the time of the discovery of the Rosetta Stone. So everybody, I I think it was after Napoleon that sort of the Western world got really interested in Egyptology. And, you know, there's these big monuments and great big statues and, and, you know, they'd appear in the magazines and, and, and stuff like that. So it sort of sparked everybody's imagination. And of course, the Bible talks quite a bit about the Egyptians in the, the books of Moses, you know, and the, the Israelites and blah, 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 blah. So Joseph Smith used that as sort of a vehicle. He, he claims to have translated the papyra that were with the mummies. There's these, um, burial, things and you know that we know exactly what they say now there's there's no there's no there's no secret um they say nothing about what's in the pearl great price but joseph smith claimed to translate them and we got the book of abraham from that mm-hmm. and the book of abraham is full of all sorts of crazy um and um that's sort of the doctrinal the doctrinal basis for this and one of the things that now um the you guys can all help me um the the term when someone uses scripture and riffs on it is called pseudo Pseudepigrapha. Pseudepigrapha. Thank you. And there's a long, long tradition of this, of writing scripture in first person, um, dating well after the the supposed origin of the scripture. And a lot of the um, Apocrypha and a lot of the the documents like the Gnostics used, it it was a very common thing um, to write in the voice of whoever it is you're doing. And that's, that's, that's sort of what what Joseph was doing. But I want to be clear that a lot of people accuse 
Joseph of doing the same kind of thing that Hubbard did, L. Ron Hubbard with Scientology. But Hubbard was smack in the middle of this sort of scientific um, uh, science fiction movement. And Joseph Smith really predated that. What he was doing is a riff on the Bible as opposed to as opposed to following the scientific traditions. And and he w- was a little bit ahead of you. Maybe you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, um, but, um, oh, the name just escaped me. The War of the Worlds guy and the the Time Machine. Orson Welles. Wells. But no, who, who was no, before not... that? Um, anyway, he, Joseph Smith. Wells. Joseph Smith, Wells, Joseph Smith was a little bit before the earliest scientific um, science fiction. So um, it's it's really... I think it's erroneous to accuse Joseph Smith of playing on that. You'd have to accuse him of sort of inventing it um, more because he was way earlier than that. Yeah, I agree. I think there'd have to be much more, um, there'd have to be more alien talk. It's much more taken from the Bible with angels and God and what happened in, you know, with Moses and Abraham in those books. Yeah. Well, and Joseph was always trying to hit, trying to create a, uh, kind of a quilt out of all the little pieces that he could gather. And he wanted everything to be explained and he wanted the mysteries to be known. And these were some of the mysteries. Who is God? What is God? Where is God? Where did we originate these kinds of questions? He was trying to, to get answers for. And, and what Joseph Smith was doing is taking these ideas from, from the old Testament and infusing them with um, 19th century cosmology, um, and if you if you read it, it really reads straight out of the ni- 19th century. I mean, there's things you you know there's things that it talks about that were common understanding of the, at that point that we've proven wrong that people in um, Moses's era or Abraham's era wouldn't have known about. So it I mean it fits right in that that period, and you can see other influences. And, and you know this is a topic for another day. But at the time, Joseph Smith was studying the Hebrew grammar, and some of the words he uses are play on Hebrew, and not necessarily Egyptian. It's cl- clear Joseph Smith knew nothing about Egyptian whatsoever. Um, but that being said, the, the foundation. Um, there, so there's a cosmology, and we take God sort of out of the realm of. I don't know the the otherworldly, the the other bodily, and sort of place him and the history of mankind in the universe, and that's really what Abraham does. And one of the things that it does is it starts and and says there is this star that is right near where God, the planet that God lives on. He, uh, yeah, it says what? where God dwells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I I I need to avoid my own. The, the idea that God was a man was a later after the book of Abraham. And that he lived on a planet. It doesn't say that. It just says that it's the star closest to where God dwells. And that star is called Kolob. Um, but and even is... later, even later speeches, like church leaders just started to use Kolob as like as the place where he was. Like later on, it just kind of would merge together. They wouldn't make the distinction that Kolob is a star near. It's just like when we return to Kolob, if you read the Journal of Discourses. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and yeah, a lot of people make that mistake even today. They say, oh, Mormons say God lives on Kolob. Not really. Right. Kolob is the great governing star. But mm-hmm. a lot of prophets like Brigham Young said that... <laughs> 
Sorry. I don't know. We're having some kind of bur- burping problem here. So, so Kolob uh, is the great governing star, and the entire universe is this mechanical watch-like mechanism that all is centered around this thing, which governs. And he talks about greater lights giving light to lesser lights and blah, 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 and this power that gets transferred in this sort of pseudo-mechanical way that I'm sure was very satisfying to the people in the 19th century, but we read it today and say, well, that doesn't clear anything up at all. <laughs> You know, it's like the, you know, the elephant on the back of a turtle sort of answer. <laughs> but it's not turtles all the way around because Kolob is the great governing star because that, that's the center of the the center of the universe. So but I think it's something it's something you have to grapple with if you're teaching, if you're cultivating a theology of embodied God, that body that. You know, as you've referred to in earlier podcasts, that is leg hair and elbows and sleeve. <laughs> it has to be somewhere and uh, placing placing God within the universe in an actual location. So now we can get back to Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so the the. the the, instead of saying Kolob, I don't know why he changed this, but he did an anagram of it and said Cobal. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the Battlestar, Cobal is the great planet and the origin. I, I find the, the quote here. Maybe you're fat, you guys are faster. They the, do, yeah, where man began or something. The, the, the lost planet of ancient gods is, is what it's referred to. Oh. Um, and that is the planet where all life began. So Cobal is the great center of of all the happenings in the uh, galactica universe. Interestingly enough, it also has a um, a city that is now um, abandoned, but a, a city called Eden, which uh, had a really interesting quote about it that said it was like the first to fall or something. The first like to that. fall, yes. Mm-hmm. Eden was the first to mm-hmm. fall. So so we see that that whole theme um, of of that of that central planet and that central um, a- access of the of the universe play out in both of these so, so that that's kind of its first its first mormon thing so we can talk more about as, as we go on with the pro great prize but i want to establish that that kolob is the origin of the gods cobal 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 <laughs> cobal <laughs> i could hide to cobal um, uh, i'll use them interchangeably okay so 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 the the gods themselves the, and and, and the, there's the implication there and i think it was later in the um in the one of the shows um where they talk about they actually even use the words um as you once were we or as as a uh, right i'm looking down my notes well, right where one of the characters is rescued by these light figures in white and so he's talking they're, they're talking about how they're just like them, but uh, differ by degrees. Mm-hmm. And they had been battling this other figure who had been talking about that he's greater, he's a being greater than them by degrees. So to, so playing on this idea how bodies and, and spirits and gods, angels, we're all, we're all the same creatures or in types of individuals, but just differ in glory or by degrees. But yes, they introduce as... You are, we once were, as we are, <laughs> you may become. In the yeah. very dramatic style of the, of right. the time. There's a, there's a lot of godlike voices, which I think you played in the, in the opening to this episode. Is that what we were saying? We, we, play, we played the music, and um, uh, so, so, so the, the, it, there was a, uh, yeah, a godlike voiceover that, that came over every time. 
and I will play. You're like, am I in the temple? It starts with space, and then you know, it it does. Uh, You know, as a piece of trivia, you guys know the early temple film that the space was from Fantasia. So, yeah, yeah, you can look that one up. But um, yeah, so it starts with this space, and then there's this voice that comes in. I'll play it right now. There are those who believe that life here began out there, far across the universe, with tribes of humans who may have been the forefathers of the Egyptians or the Toltecs or the Mayans. Some believe that there may yet be brothers of man who even now fight to survive somewhere beyond the heavens so so we hear this sort of origin this mysterious here we are here's the regression that what the toltec and the maya and the egyptian significant that it's those three in 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 mormonism may have some ancient other origins and that's where you know we talked in, in the beginning about that that um science fiction sort of thing where here i think you see glenn taking these ancient ideas or these older ideas from Joseph Smith and sort of infusing them with a 1970s vibe and saying, well, how, how does, how would this stuff play out? And now that we have ideas of space travel and Apollo, the Apollo landing, which of course appears in the final episode, sorry, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> and, and all, all that stuff, how would that, that, that play out? Cause when you have that idea of God is a man, then obviously the stuff that we do is going to somehow in intermix into the theology. So, and it, Oh, excuse me. Sorry, I was just going to say, going to say, maybe we should, uh, <clears throat> for those who haven't seen the show, explain how um, co- 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 Cobal and Earth are connected. There were uh, the gods that were on Cobal, and they, I don't know if they created the different races and then dispersed them to the planets or if they seeded the life on the other planets. But I'm I'm guessing they created them and then they dispersed after Eden fell to go to the different planets. And uh, the planets of the people who were in Battlestar Galactica are named after different... Um, kind of the signs of the Zodiac. Yeah, the signs of the Zodiac. Mm-hmm. And they are looking for their lost tribe. So it kind of brings in the whole tribes of Israel and the lost tribes. And, and the people on Battlestar Galactica are trying to find the lost tribes. And they just so happen to be the ancient people's that are ever so conveniently discussed in the Book of Mormon. Yeah, yeah, that, that this is where we get a tie between the Book of Mormon. There's not a lot, you know, the Book of Mormon, uh, I've said before, doesn't have a lot to do with Mormon theology. But there is the idea of this small band of chosen that is out seeking. And the, and the idea of the lost tribes sort of enters into that. But most people who aren't Mormon sort of get it screwed up when they're talking about the, the Book of Mormon. Um, but... But yeah, you're right. So, so the twelve tribes disperse from this origin in heaven, and th- and I think this is where we can go back to the the book of Abraham because the book of Abraham really picks up the story. It talks about this cosmology we were referring to a few minutes ago, but then it picks up, and the book of Abraham is sort of this play on the post Noahic world. So the Noahic flood comes about, and then the Book of Mormon has so, these just so stories about where Egypt come came from. You know, it says Egyptus was the daughter of pharaoh and when she found egypt it was underwater and what they said that the egypt means that which is hidden or some cockamamie stuff like that um so 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 you you have this um 
And as a matter of fact, the original name of the series was Adama's Ark. Of course, mm-hmm. Adama is a play on the word Adam. Adam. Mm-hmm. So you have this this start. And and why that becomes important is because in Mormon theology, the Egyptians come back time and time again. And in the book of Abraham, it said that the Egyptians were not allowed to have, have the priesthood, of course, because they were black, because um, they descended from Ham, who preserved the curse in the land. Um, from Cain, who's Bigfoot, um, so so they they couldn't have it, but they they tried to rip it off, right? So if you read Nibley, you know he'll talk about all the, you can see all this Egyptian stuff because they tried to create the endowment and they tried to create the temple stuff, but it was a uh, counterfeit because they weren't allowed. Now in Battlestar, like their helmets look look rather pharaohic, yeah, very Egyptian. They look like the Sphinx, mm-hmm. I think. and they have like cubits, and they have and the color scheme, and it's well, there were you know the the episode the Lost Planet of the Gods where they actually go to Kobal that was actually filmed in Egypt, um, interestingly enough, and yeah, so they're looking at Egyptian tombs and things like that and hieroglyphics. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, yeah, there's a real sort of Egyptian vibe. And that's something that would really resonate with people who grew up in the church. Because, you know, you see those, those Egyptian, um, facsimiles right there in the, in the, in the book of Abraham. So not only mm-hmm. do you get this talk about it, you know, you have real like Egyptian art, albeit somewhat modified. So, 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 and that's where that voiceover comes in. You know, the Maya, of course, Mormons believe basically are, are the, the Nephites and the Lamanites. And then the 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 Egyptians have this connection to this this ancient order of things. Um, so so for for Mormons that's really resonant. And I think it's exciting with the going back to that narration where he talks about came from somewhere out there. And I think and for me that was exciting growing up in the church, just realizing that God as an embodied being was somewhere out there. And I can see, uh, particularly with Battlestar Galactica, it's it's kind of that Mormon fantasy of getting the technology where you're able to explore space. And then you start reaching the point where you're going to have angelic, you're going to be crossing the paths of angelic beings and, and entering this, entering this world near, near God and the whole battle between good and evil in a very real, uh, physical way, tangible way. Excuse me. I actually had that. Um, I always tried to make Mormonism make sense scientifically and with technology. And I remember telling my friends that, it wouldn't bother me or surprise me at all if Christ came down, you know, in a spaceship or if when we were taken up to heaven, it was in a spaceship to go to Kolob. So it definitely, I think, does feed into that fantasy and, you know, in the Mormon audience. Well, I think weird. that's why Mormonism works so well in within science fiction. Mm-hmm. I mean, because science fiction, science fiction uh, specifically is supposed to uh, naturalize the supernatural uh, it's supposed to, you know, there are these extraordinary powers that create an alien or a monster or something, but you have to be able to explain it. Uh, whereas other genres, fantasy or, or horror film, you know, the monster just is, or the good and evil just is. Uh, but I think in many ways, Mormonism, uh, theologically or in re- a religious way is trying to do, uh, the same thing of, of understanding the, the supernatural essence of God and trying to naturalize it or, or uh, breaking it down that we can become gods as well. And I, I heard one writer just saying that you don't find that doctrine of, of becoming gods in, in theological journals, uh, but you can find that more in, in science fiction and where it is uh, acceptable there. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with all that. And I think science fiction and horror become this play out, especially as we become a more secular society. I've heard it argued before that the, the one of the reasons that ho- the horror genre, for example, has become so popular is because horror proves the existence of afterlife. You know, you've got things coming from beyond the grave. It proves the existence of, of, of evil, which therefore implies the existence of good. And you see that same sort of thing in science fiction where these these abstract ideas are played out right there. And that's, again, what I'm saying with um, Glenn Larson is he took these these abstract ideas from the from the book of Abraham and he showed them. He showed a plausible way that these things could play out in the real world. Um, exactly. So I think that's I think that's a, a really good point. So let's talk a little bit more about the 12 tribes, because that that's something that really um has a strong undercurrent through all of Mormonism that I think people downplay today. And I think outsiders probably don't understand very well. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about some speculative theology too, which is fun. So, so today in the church, when you come near coming of age, you're going to get your patriarchal blessing. But there's a key element in that for, especially people who are raised in the church. And that's that you get adopted into one of the 12 tribes. So for Mormonism, the 12 tribes weren't just something that was that was this ancient order of of God's chosen people, but it's something that is real and alive today. And when they talk about the gathering and the you know the the, the lost ten tribes and the and 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 all, all that sort of stuff, it, it becomes very concrete and very real and very in the present because you're going to become one of the members of one of those tribes. Right. It's like taking the the um, Old Testament model and placing it into current times. I mean, Joseph Smith did not want to lose anything if, if he, if he could help it. So he took the things that were important in the old Testament and kind of resurrected them for, for a new generation. And he made them essential. Yeah. You have to, that goes back to the whole Abrahamic covenant. Hi, Mike. Um, you have to be adopted <laughs> into a, you have to be adopted into a tribe. You, it all has to be grafted in. So you're one big, plant or chain or whatever right otherwise you uh blow in the wind yeah Yeah. you're outside the city wall yeah and and of course the the it talks about the lost 10 tribes in the book of mormon and then that's a that's a theme today and the theme of gathering and gathering in the lost 12 10 tribes although i i always tease mormons that they talk about the lost 10 tribes but i'll i'll ask them well which two aren't lost (laughs) and they almost all get the answer wrong Zilpha, can you get the, the answer right? Which, according uh, I, to the I, according I, to the Bible, which two tribes are not lost? Oh, because there's ten missing. Well, isn't it Ephraim, Manasseh? I mean, that's that's part of that's what a lot of Mormons. But would that's say. part of um, Jacob, right? Uh, or um, Elisa Jordan. was getting the answer right. Oh me, no. Oh, no. Or I thought it was Heather. Oh, was it Heather? Uh, I Sorry. think Joseph and Judah. It's, yeah, there it's you Judah go. and Benjamin. I mean, Benjamin. It's, it's really, you know, but do you have Benjamin? Joseph? I know, I hear different Ephraim, answers. Ephraim like, even Manasseh. the Encyclopedia of Mormonism <laughs> said it was Judah and the Lamanites. Well, wait, wait. I was like, <laughs> the that's the first time I've ever heard that. We, I read wow. that. I'm like, we probably I, need to have a podcast on that because it has to do with the North Kingdom and the South Kingdom. And exactly, the North Kingdom was right. carried and off. The, Right, and the Lamanites would be from Joseph's tribe, right? Yeah, but so 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 
Oh, sometimes were, yeah, Mormons. And they weren't in the southern kingdom with Judah. So anyway. If I, you get your patriarchal blessing, it'll generally say Ephraim. And sometimes it says Manasseh. Right. And if you get a really crazy patriarch, it might say something else. But <laughs> So a lot of Mormons think the lost 12, the lost 10 tribes are everybody but Ephraim and Manasseh. Um, and then they get into all sorts of things. You know, because even in the Bible, it doesn't identify the 12 tribes the same yeah. all the time. And and it's most likely a myth that was grafted on later, you know, that, that to explain – it was like a just-so story to explain the geographical regions, you know, cause, because it more corresponded to these providences than actual, like, 12 brothers. I mean, that – if you have – if there's any myth around, that's one of them. Well, I am um, just finished reading Who Wrote the Bible, and they talk a lot about the, the – it was a pretty tribal society back then. So there were different tribes that I – identified with different, um, different people of the, you know what I mean? They identified with a different son. Well, you know, mythologically, I think, yeah, but you not, know, yeah. in the ancient world, 70 miles away was a long ways right, away. Yeah. And, and, you know, so you would marry very close to home because you just wouldn't. So, so when you talk about the kingdom of Judah or the you know kingdom of Israel, which was still only what 150 miles and 50 miles wide or whatever, that's still a big distance mm-hmm. if you're on foot, right. you know? So, so most people would have never really ventured outside of their little provenance. Um, but there are those who argue that the council, the, that the 12 apostles were appointed because of the 12 tribes, that, that those re those things, those things match up. And early Mormon leaders, such as Brigham Young and Heber Kimball, preached that 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 the twelve were responsible for the twelve tribes. That they they matched up. And I wouldn't be surprised if, in their own little secret room in Salt Lake City, <laughs> they still say, "Oh, you are the t- guy over Benjamin, and you are the guy over Judah." So there's still that that strong indication of that we're all divided up in the twelve. Now, here's where we're getting to speculative the- theology. There are those who say that God has 12 wives and Ooh. and that that's why we're in those 12 tribes, because that refers to our mother, which is the reason why they never name the mother, because we don't all have the same mother. Um, and and actually, the er, early early brethren and the polygamists today call when you have 12 wives, a quorum of wives, that that's a complete set of wives. So you you you've made it when you when you get to 12. And then you have one for every month. <laughs> I was going to say, what are the rest extra credit? What? So, so anyway, the the the, the twelve tribes, uh, you know, not to belabor the point, but too late. Um, really does play out an important role in Mormonism today, and and it's still it's still there. Most Mormons can tell you what tribe they they belong to. Now, could Battlestar Galactica be playing on that folk doctrine of the 12 tribes being out or the lost 10 tribes being out in space somewhere? Could, I'm, I'm sure that that tickles some people. You know, some people believe that they're, they, these are kind of the, these you can find people in any ward who believe these things. Don't get me wrong. But there's some people who believe they're in the middle of the earth. and There's some people who believe they're on another planet. That a hmm. chunk of earth was removed to a to another yeah, and I, part I, of the universe. I would refer everybody back to an early episode where we have on the uh, about Thor, um, lore and mythology about the, the ten tribes because it's not just Mormonism, but it does play a modern significance. But in Battlestar Galactica, um, if I'm remembering correctly, um, they all know all but Earth know each other and they interact with each other and they travel between the planets and and they have their own society and. Um, this race of robots comes in and wipes out all of the planets in a sneak attack. And the, the people that are left band together to go try to find 
the one tribe that's missing. Well, they and call it the 13th tribe, right, actually. Mm-hmm. Right. The one tribe that they don't know about. They don't know where it is. It's it's written about in the old in the old scriptures. Um and they know it's called Earth and they know it's out there somewhere. So it's actually kind of opposite of rather than ten tribes being lost, there's only one tribe that's lost and they're trying to find them so they can, you know, have that be their home now. Mm-hmm. The old scriptures meaning the book of the word. Right. I think that's what they call it. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I was just making reference that like the Book of Mormon, their scriptures right. are called the Book of the Word. Right. Well, and I, I take that mostly, you know, obviously it's still science fiction. He's not like playing out of the, 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 the playbook completely. Right, but, right. But, you know, the Earth sort of is like the, the Book of Mormon where you have this other lost sheep who are somehow kept separate from the rest of the tainted world and somehow kept pure and there's this yearning to to find them and i think that that story plays out in the book of mormon a couple different times um so can I throw in something that's completely off topic, but kind of fits the thing that I always noticed during the episodes is that no matter where they landed, they all spoke the same language. So my speculative theology for Battlestar Galactica is that they were all speaking pure Adamic. That's why they could all understand each other. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I love it. I was just confused that, you know, the, okay, the Cylons, this robot race uh, was wiping out the humans. So they all banded together under Commander Adama. That's where, uh, that's why, where Adama's art comes from is Adama is the commander over the whole fleet of the last surviving humans. But everywhere they went, there were humans all over the place. I'm like, uh, well, I guess humans aren't as in danger of, yeah, I know. Uh, of extinction as they thought, or, or they are really scattered. Yeah, that, that was funny because we, Zilf and I watched the, the reboot series first and, you know, they really did play out. The, the humans were this last surviving band. And there were no others anywhere but except in, for in the first Earth. episode. Yeah. Every other episode they're running <laughs> into yeah, other, the, the, other people. The original series, there were people <laughs> everywhere. So let's, let's, let's go to the Cylons and talk about the Luciferian or the, the d- demonic um, elements in there, which is the fun part. Um, so the the story begins because we we never even set this stage here. That the Cylons are this 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 race of robots that were created by a people called the Cylons, right. but we never really quite. They're apparently lizard like, but we never really quite meet them. But they were created for this purpose, and they had wiped out another civilization, and now they were going after the humans. So, so, so. They go and they try to do this mass extinct extinction of the human beings. And the last battle star, this last battleship, has a fleet of 220 spaceships. Come on, you guys. You yeah, that's guys. right. 200 something. Yeah. So, and then that's, that's the, the premise of the series. They're going around. Um, but there is one guy, this turncoat named Baltar, right? Guy uh, yeah. Baltar. At, is Gaius in the new one only? Gaius is in the new one. Yeah, I think they only no, no, was he's, just, in, he's in both of did them. Did they call well, him Gaius, call though? Gaius. Oh, okay, I got you. Yeah, I think it's well, just I thought Baltar they called him Gaius first at first, though. Mm. So, so Baltar was from the, the Council of the Twelve. We just talked about the Twelve. There was a Council of the Twelve in Battlestar Galactica, which represented the Twelve colonies, the mm-hmm. Twelve tribes. Yeah, a, gov- a governing council. So Baltar was on the Twelve and betrayed them to the Cylons. Um, and his betrayal was that he would get his own world, right? He his would, own power. His own, his own, his own power, which is obviously a play on Judas, and then on in Mormon theology on the, the Satan himself, because in Mormon theology, Satan was was uh, one of the high and powerful ones, the brother of all of us, including Christ, who betrayed them 
um, betrayed all of us mm-hmm. and started the big war in heaven. To try to mm-hmm. get power. Right. And then the the there are the sort of, especially if you go to early Mormon doctrine, these mindless, lazy um, individuals who follow um, Satan because they don't want to be challenged. They don't want the challenge of life. Um, and they follow him. And now they are the demons, the one third, the host of heaven, which was cast out, um, who are basically the Cylons, Cylons. who <laughs> are mindless just sort of going after and will will do the will of Baltar. In the show, Baltar sits in his on his throne <laughs> in this room, and Zilpha asks, "Well, what does he do when they don't?" Because they always walk in, and he turns around. And he's sitting in this big empty room. Like, what does he do the rest of the time? Does he play Tetris or does he just sit in this empty room? Which is a question about what the devil does all day long, too, and God for that matter. But I digress. I think that. Oh, sorry, we're. I think that theme plays out in a couple of different ways in Battlestar. Um, they also come across Count Ipley, and um, he is a charismatic figure that asks the people um, on the different ships, please come follow me. I will take care of you. I will give you everything you need if you just agree to make me your leader, if you just agree to do whatever I tell you to do. And he try he, he doesn't try to force them he tries to persuade them by showing them all these miraculous things that he can do and then he asks them it has to be your choice if you'll come follow me if you'll let me be your commander and um in the end he turns out to be another incarnation of the devil and i i'm not 100 percent sure on this but i believe ibli i-l-b-i-s or however it's spelled i believe that's the devil in Islam. Islam, yeah. Um, so he turns oh. out to be the devil. And when he, when Ibli kills Apollo and they're taken up, and Apollo is one of the warriors in Battlestar, they're taken up to this uh, starship that doesn't really have any distinct you know, characteristics other than it's white and there's flowing curtains everywhere. And they all have veils on their faces, the people who are on the ship. Um, Not just the women? No, all of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not even sure if there were women. They kind of seemed androgynous, but they, um, Oh dear. And we'll be like them as we are. They will be be whatever that couplet was, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, um, they, the, they're, I think, I believe they're called seraphs and they start talking to the people that they've taken up into the ship, including Apollo and saying that Ibli is one of, is one of them. And he's been cast out because he doesn't want, people to have free agency he wants to be in control of them and that is not the way of the seraphs so he's not allowed to be with them so that's i think yet another way that larson played out that whole story of uh lucifer being cast out because he wanted to um be in control of everybody and have power for himself well that whole episode was really fascinating it had um like one thing there was that scene between count ibley and baltar and uh, right. baltar sees him and he and he's like i know your voice you know and uh, and count ibley calls him his old friend and stuff like that and it turns out that the, the they got the same actor who plays the voice of the cylon imperious leader and uh, so it comes out like it's kind of hinted at in the conversation between uh, baltar and and Count Ibley, that that's why the Cylons, who the original reptile Cylons, before mm-hmm. they built the robots, mm-hmm. um, that they um, that they kind of um, gave up their power to Count Ibley, and because they followed him, they inscribed his voice into their <laughs> imperious leader, and uh, so that's why their their race eventually declined, and the robots took them over. They came to love their technology too much. So, well, wow. let's for those who don't like temple content, you can fast forward two minutes. Um, so let's go back to the temple um, the, uh, before 1990. 
um, there was there was another character in the temple of the the preacher who wore a Protestant you know um, collar, and the Protestant is the one the the preacher is the one who led them in the hymn, and um, and basically the temple played him out that the 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 preachers were the agents of of the devil that they and the the the, the preacher discovers in the temple ceremony that he has been working for the the for the for, for without Satan. knowing so. Kind, yeah, kind of. It's sort of left ambiguous in the, in the in the temple ceremony, but that idea that 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 there are these direct agents, you know, and uh, the the horror of the world, you know, the great and abominable Catholic Church, and all these things who are unwittingly the the masters of these higher masters, and that I really liked in the um in that in that episode when the, what the angels say, you know, we cannot interfere with the freedom of choice, his, yours, anyone's. And that is sort of that that Mormon doctrine thing, which is the explanation for evil, for mm-hmm. for the the solution for the theodicy in Mormonism is that God can't interfere with evil because um, that would interfere with choice. Now it never explains why the devil can get away with interfe- interfering with everybody's freedom, but um, that's that's the explanation as to why God doesn't stop evil. So it's this it's this central doctrine of free agency that we have to have in order to complete the, the plan, and that the the agents of the of the devil, be they preachers in the temple or Cylon robots, are really there trying to wipe us out because we're free to choose good over evil. And they don't like that. No, they don't. I'm not exactly sure why they don't like that. But. <laughs> well, in Mormon theology, it's because they've been denied that ability because they wouldn't go along with Jesus. So they're jealous. But yeah. don't they choose to tempt people? Yeah, it seems like they I mean, would have to do that. Yeah. Well, I speculative <laughs> theology for me again, I've always thought it was because they didn't really know what they were getting themselves into when they went with Satan. It was only after they were cast out that they were like... Right, Rats. so then why wouldn't they fight against Satan and rather? Yeah, why don't they say, "Oh, we made the wrong choice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to return this model to the dealership." They don't have a body, so they don't have a choice, which well, we is contradictory, we had... right, to how we chose to come here. But yeah, that's that's yeah. what I was always. So thought. I'm glad there's choice. no organizations today that would want to take away choice and like lock things up on Sunday or not allow you to buy certain <laughs> liquids or do that kind of thing because that would definitely be Satan's plan to give not give you the choice. Of going swimming Forced on a Sunday, obedience, so you mean. yeah, yeah. So just a, just a little test I'm throwing out there for finding the true church. <laughs> All right. Um, so as long as we're talking about that, that let's talk about episode seven and the long patrol. So Starbuck, you know, once again the warrior who's always getting in trouble. He finds. Oh, can this... I bring up? Can oh, I bring ahead, up one more? One more thing about the devil in Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, that episode is really interesting. <laughs> well, right. There's well, we see Count Ibley. Uh, we we see uh, the Mormon Satan within Baltar. We see him in Count Ibley. There is a character named Lucifer. Yes, there is. Mm-hmm. There is this robot that helps Baltar. And um, as a gay man myself, my gaydar went ding ding ding. He's Mine a did total too. queen. <laughs> he was a, a gay robot. robot I agree. Queen. <laughs> He just he has he has these luscious lips and you know flowing glittery robes and you know they give him kind of this feminine British accent and he's flitting about trying to help Baltars this Lucifer and I I was wondering maybe it's that that some Mormons believe that Satan's gay or Lucifer's gay maybe that's what maybe that was bigger in the seventies I, I have heard that teaching before yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he is but this Lucifer character he's keen on learning the humans which I. Think think uh, ties back to this idea that the Cylons are not human or may 
are are interested in the bodies of human or trying to be more human, trying to uh, tie that to the followers of Satan being without bodies and and jealous of that. Yeah, and he he very much again with the temple. You can fast forward another minute. Um, he again reminded me of that. You know, of that temple. You know, when they go into the Greek temple and then God says this, and then they they walk, they turn. It's always this. Um, Wait, what, in Battlestar? Yeah, because that you know in the, in the temple it's always they they go up. God tells Jesus to do something, then oh, Jesus tells oh, yeah, Peter the, to do it. The lines Peter of tells, authority, and then fifteen minutes later we get back to the right, thing, and right. then they do it again, and then fifteen okay. minutes later. Um, <laughs> So, but they do the exact same thing in Battlestar. They go into that chamber, and then God says things, and then the, what is it that the Lucifer always says in Battlestar? By uh, your command, and and he says it in that yeah, in that sort of feminine, uh, sarcastic <laughs> way. Command. I, I did like he is my favorite character because he's always like that. That seems like a strange move. Why, why would you do that? And so <laughs> you know best. By your command. <laughs> yeah, excellent point. Okay, so um, uh, let's talk about the Long Patrol. So Starbuck co- goes down to this planet, and he finds these people who are living in these jail cells. And the jail cells um, don't have any locks. They've long since rotted away. <laughs> and the guards are kind of like half-assed in what they're doing. But we find out that these people have been here for generations, just mating and being born and staying <laughs> in their cells, um, uh, um, which, of course, is a is a play on the... Mormon take on the Christian concept of original sin, mm-hmm. the idea that that we are all, you know, in we all need to be delivered from that because in early Mormon theology that was ridiculed very openly. This idea that and and of course it's it's in the um, the thirteen articles of, articles of faith that man must be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgression unless you're black. <laughs> um, and um, so 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 I, I think I think that's a real. Mormon sort of hidden play that these guys are stuck in those cells and of their own doing. Well, yeah, and and they're actually named um, after the sin that was committed by their ancestors 700 years before them. Like um, um, one of them is called Assault 9, another one is Forger 7, <laughs> Adulterous 15, and uh, they, they name Starbucks since he's new there, his name is going to be Bootlegger. So he's going to be the original sin of bootlegging <laughs> yeah and they all they what they do for fun is they all make hooch if i remember right don't they don't yeah. they make absinthe yeah well they're doing it for a cause they think they're giving it to the colonies to fight the war or something like that uh-huh. so they, they take it very patriotically uh-huh. or something yeah but. yeah yep so starbuck so we'll makes st- them realize that they don't have to be prisoners anymore for what their what their forefathers did and that they have uh, the right to be free Mm-hmm. So is that a Christ-like? Yeah, it seems portrayal? like it. To me. it it's he almost like Christ him. going to the the prison, the spirit prison. After I thought Starbuck was more Joseph Smith. He was sort of a womanizing, <laughs> you know, kind of wild, crazy guy. He was always crashing on the planets, but getting out by the hair of his teeth. Well, that's and, true. Starbuck was, you know, charismatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Dirk Benedict. Yeah, I, I saw somebody posted on Facebook the other day. I'll find this picture and post it. It had a picture of um, Thrace, the the new Starbucks with the old Starbucks at Starbucks. <laughs> oh, you you have it you have yeah, it right have there. It right. That's awesome. uh, Starbucks and Starbucks at Starbucks. It. But um, Benedict or has had a little bit of surgery there. It's it's pretty clear. But oh, um, yeah, the Starbucks, Joseph Smith and the lady Joseph Smith. Maybe that's maybe that's the one mighty and strong that's yet to come. <laughs> Ouch. Okay, so um, 
you know, I think we've hit on some of the major points, but there are a lot of like minor things that just show up. And if you're a Mormon, you'll you'll hear them all the time. Um, first of all, eternal marriage shows up in the in yeah. in the and, and they actually even use the word sealing at one point. And um, I don't think they said new and everlasting covenant. They said something sort of for that. time and all eternity. For time and all eternity. Yeah, they have a wedding, and they and they, yeah. they they use those words. Not only for now, but all the eternities. So about you about that episode, it was kind of interesting because um, you know how one of the the ways that uh, in church they kind of get you to to see the value of a temple marriage as opposed to a civil marriage is did you ever hear that kind of folk story about um the couple who they get married and they have a civil ceremony but then they get in a car wreck like that on their way to their honeymoon and so they can never be together again because they had that civil ceremony it seems like this episode is is the reverse of that it's like the the good side of that where you've got this um relationship between developing between apollo and serena and uh they get married and then then she gets killed by what well, mortally wounded by the by the Cylons. And uh, and you have this kind of mo- t- touching moment between them when they're supposed to be like, but we'll be together forever because now we've been sealed, that kind of thing. And right. it was really interesting to me because as I was watching that, I was like, wow, I would not want to be married forever to somebody that I dated for like two months and we were married for a day and you know, now I'm stuck with you forever. That's exactly okay, fun. what I thought. And her first husband had died in the attack, right? I thought he'd run off. Oh, he runt off. Oh, R-U-N-N-O-F-T. <laughs> and and you like how their relationship is developed by her watching Apollo play with her son, which isn't that how BYU always works? You, there's that test date where you take them to be with kids to see mm-hmm. how they are around kids. <laughs> and and that's how the sign of a good mate. You know? Around their mother, although I don't think... Apollo's mother ever. Yeah, shows she's up. not in there. No. Yeah. Well, but I think that ever... was that's what struck me as very Mormon about Battlestar Galactica is it really is something you could sit down and watch for family home evening. Oh, it's very totally. you know, the main guy, Apollo, he's single, but he immediately becomes this family man. He marries Jane Seymour, who's gorgeous, and then her son, who later goes on to play Atreyu in, in the never ending oh, yes, story. Yes. Oh. And but but yeah, it's all it's very it's very patriarchal, you know, the the great strong guys going out and and the ladies, you know, back watching giggling and and a lot of nods to the it's very inclusive of children. They love to play with the little boy and the and little the boy and his fun robot, robot toys. It's very family <laughs> values, very chimp, wholesome entertainment with the capital W, which is not the case it's for the remake. Danger. The remake is oh, the remake's dirty. It's darker. great. Yeah. Well, I really like how the remake updates those gender politics because it it needed to be updated very much Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely i love the way that they play i know i was i thought i'm like is the remake as liberal as the original was conservative maybe i don't know the the original was conservative but they did have you know commander ty was was black and they did have and they made it they made a sort of a play on it where all the pilots all the warriors were men basically but then they and they were very stereotypical and very like derogatory towards women. You know, they were all giggly. But they and... had the women 
um, become pilots. But they did become pilots. They did. But so, even so- e- even was it Sheba who was a pilot later, and she was pretty tough. But she would still go back and kind of chill with the ladies. I mean, yeah. she wasn't she wasn't like a Starbucks figure. In you know, the, in an the interesting remake. piece of trivia is that um, she never uses her laser gun once in the entire series. <laughs> I didn't Women pick up on that. Oh my so <laughs> I mean, I, I we'll give them credit where credit they are a little bit progressive in, in yeah. it. Yeah. But you know, building on what you're know. saying. Uh, I'll, Princess Leia was before that, and she was tougher. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I guess. But well, at least when the women fighters take over for the men, because the men are all sick, they they don't the, in their first battle they don't have any casualties. They do true. really awesome. So yeah, that's something, like I guess. The stripling. But it's immediately warriors. undercut by that scene where Apollo and Starbuck are making fun of the way women talk and mm-hmm. things like that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I did want to comment on the Adama thing, and it it, it was a. A facet of American culture, but very Mormon thing. You have this gray-haired member of the Council of the Twelve who is always talking in a God voice. He doesn't have any human characteristics. He always is 100% spot-on right. Mm -hmm. Um, He is to be, you know, the men are to be followed and they guide and they you know and it it does show him sometimes like concerned over his people but never like concerned over his own decisions he's you know he's always 100 percent right and that that's a very mormon theme too but the but the new galactica they struggle with with those issues a lot and i I appreciated that aspect of the new galactica where they really struggled with what to do and what was what was the right thing um and they questioned their decisions that they made before and and they often made wrong decisions. Towards right. the end of the new one, I found myself agreeing with the Cylons. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Just wipe them out. <laughs> but the, the other thing on that Adama that's very Mormon is there is no woman there. you know, And all the women are in in um, positions where they take orders from everybody else and from the, the command men. And that's, you know, that, that when it's just like the mother in heaven, she disappears. The wives of the <laughs> Quorum of the Twelve, they just show up in sort of frou-frou ways. You know, yeah, there's there are no, no real mothers leadership. in the series. Mm-hmm. There is that one episode, like, towards the end of the series. It's it's the one where Baltar escapes. And the tension that's going on there is that there's a, the, there's a female member of the council has been asked to kind of um, be a watchdog over... Um, over Adama and she makes all the bad decisions acting on behalf of the council. Like she's saying, don't do this, don't do that. And it's all the wrong decisions. It it completely blows up in their faces and things like that. Um, But she does have some redeeming aspects in that she gives a good military strategy towards the end. And, and then Adama and um, that woman are seen kind of dating in the end. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, is there any other, I have two. Okay. Um, the first one is that, um, in episode two, they're just barely out on their voyage trying to find earth and they stumble upon this planet where, um, it's kind of like Las Vegas. People are gambling and having fun (laughs) and, and, uh, all of them got there on these transport type buses. And, uh, what they don't realize is that when they go down when they get in the elevator to go down to their hotel room to retire for their night, they're actually going to hell to, you know, be tortured. And, that really struck me as um, a commentary on people along the Wasatch Front getting on a fun bus and going to Wendover. <laughs> that kind of stuck out to me. And the other did thing you, was... Sorry. How did you know we were having a Mormon Expression sponsored fun bus? You, you were trying to... <laughs> oh, I'm totally there. And I'll just not take the elevator down. Um, <laughs> then also in episode 17, they have these Barillion, I think that's how you say it, Nomen. And they're kind of mm-hmm. like... 
assassins of some sort. And I kind of wondered if they were supposed to be the Danites. <laughs> if that was what was playing out there, they were. Well, they look like Klingons from Star Trek. They look different. Yeah. But yeah, I, I picked up on Nomans, sounds like Mormons. And they also mentioned at some point the unpardonable, unpardonable sin, which for them was like not praying, but they were being deceitful. It was all. <laughs> <laughs> all for their all for their collusion but yeah they use the phrase the unpardonable sin and then one tiny one um in the episode that same episode actually uh starbucks father is called a genetic tracer and i thought that was a little uh nod to genealogy huh oh. genetic <laughs> tracer yeah i i have a ton too many to list now but i'll pick a couple uh one is um the use of euphemisms for profanity, like frack, you oh, know, yeah. yes. like <laughs> Glenn Larson did invent the term frack. Yeah. So. I find it really interesting that it was the Mormons who figured out how to get the F word on television <laughs> because, you know, every time they said frack, what people were thinking in their heads. Mm -hmm. So right. Mormons were the Especially ones who got the F word on TV. in the 2003 reboot, they use that to all the time. intercourse. Yeah, <laughs> they, they use it in every single way you can use the F word. The original, <laughs> you know, maybe a few times. Mm -hmm. And they have some other weird words they show in there. I, I, I Felder Carp. Yeah. Felder yeah. Garb, yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, another one that, uh, I don't know, this is kind of out there, but um, in that one episode, The Long Patrol, um, there's kind of a side plot going on, like before he goes to that planet where all the prisoners are and things like that. He, um, he is kind of playing between two women like he's playing between athena who is adama's daughter and cassiopeia who eventually becomes the his true girlfriend but but uh, he's kind of playing between the two of them and having a romantic affair between the two of them and then later on when he disappears um uh, uh athena comes up to cassiopeia and she's like saying you know i kind of just felt it, i should tell you that starbucks missing it just seemed like the right thing to do and there's kind of almost i'm sorry but it seemed like just a sister wife moment you know where they were like <laughs> Um, you know, I, I just had to share this with you. And they have this bonding moment between the two of them. And they're like, you know, when, when Starbuck comes back, we're still going to fight over him. And, and they were like, I wouldn't have it any other way. And, and then when he comes back, they're both sitting on his, um, on either side of him at the dinner table and stuff like that. So that was kind of a weird, uh, weird thing for me <laughs> anyway. But yeah. Anything else? I did. I picked up on that polygamy idea, you know, maybe just totally reading into it, the polygamy idea with the two of them. And then Commander Kane, this other Battlestar Galactica or Battlestar appears the and Pegasus. Commander Kane is on there, who apparently Cassiopeia had a relationship with in the past. And there's a wide generation difference. So I'm like, oh, here's Cassiopeia again. Uh, but with kind of that fear of fundamentalist uh, polygamy now about intergenerational intimacy sort of idea. Well, um, this series was canceled after one season and then they tried to restart it in the eighties. And a lot of the stuff that I read about the connections to Mormonism also talked about the, that second little blurb that didn't last very long. because it was even more horrible than the original. Apparently in one of those episodes, Apollo and Starbuck refer to the book of the word and how some of their ancient leaders married very young wives. So there's another oh. illusion. Yeah, I, I didn't bother watching that. It was roundly panned. Mm -hmm. um, I think even like diehard Battlestar Galactica <laughs> fans deny it exists. Well, Richard Hatch and Benedict and all those other guys were, weren't in it. So Only Boxy, I think, was in it. Well, and... Uh, Can I ask a green. question? Um, 
we were talking about Cassiopeia. When she is introduced in the series, it's this vaguely biblical moment where Apollo is among the refugees or something. And then there and then there's Cassiopeia, like in these Bible-like robes or something. And he's like, You're hurt. And she's like, No, go help the other people. And then everyone's like, Ew, she's evil. Get away from her. It was like, you know, the out the woman taken in adultery sort of thing. Yeah. And then she says that they're rejecting her because she's a socialator. Yeah. And they never explain what that is. They I thought it was a prostitute. Says, they implied later, I think. And then, but then she says it's it's a profession with the blessings of the elders. So I thought that was Concubine. that was weird. I'm like, yeah. a, so a sympathetic prostitute. This was way before Pretty Woman. But... Probably like a geisha was okay. probably the idea. Yeah, I I think um, that uh, what's that other series that played on that theme? Yeah. Um, uh, oh yes, yes, Firefly. Firefly. That's right. Yeah, they, they yeah they had a socialite. Yeah, I thought they they were playing on that. They got that from Battlestar. So okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's little little references and little smatterings, and and, and you'll you'll pick them up when you watch the show. But all right. Well, any other any other lasting thoughts on? Oh, I, I do have to ask this because I thought it was the most bizarre thing of the new series. They introduced Boxy, and. At, on like episode two, and then he just disappears. Was that like a contract problem, or did somebody <laughs> blow up? And you know, because he he's there, in the, and then they just never explain. I him think again. they realized that trying to have kids on every episode was just too much hassle, and it mm. it is definitely an adult show. So they right. thought, yeah, we don't really need a lot of kids in here. Everyone should see the new Battlestar. The whole thing, as everything slowly falls apart, that's the best. And and every character is flawed in one way or the other. You, you go from one episode thinking, oh, he's great, to like, what a son of a bitch. And, and, and the special effects it, you know? are quite amazing for a for a show. I mean, mm-hmm. right. for a TV show. Yeah, I think the first two seasons of Battlestar Galactica are, are some of the best television uh-huh, ever, ever. You know, yeah, Right, sure. cool. right. Hands well, down. In some of the reading online that I was doing in preparation for this, I came across several blogs that hated the re the new Battlestar Galactica because it was uh, it dissed religion and it it wasn't it didn't reflect positively or, or kindly upon religion. And I take great exception to that because. I think that um, the original Battlestar Galactica, it kind of just sprinkled in Mormon theology. It didn't really deal with it. You know, it right. was just there. But in the new Battlestar Galactica, it really delves into people's faith and whether or not they believe and why they should believe. And in the end, um, the predictions in their ancient texts turn out to have somehow come true. And it mm-hmm. kind of leaves open room for discussion about, is it a self-fulfilling prophecy? If these ancient texts didn't exist, would they have behaved in some other way and ended up somewhere else and it wouldn't have been earth? And I think it gives a much deeper and more interesting look at religion instead of just sprinkling it in there and being like, yay, positive for religion. You know, I agree. Yeah, and I think it, it does play out the tension between agnosticism, atheism mm-hmm. and religion. And do, does that even matter? You know, if mm-hmm. you don't believe, mm-hmm. Do the gods even care? You know, is it better to be good or is it better to be a believer? And Baltar's whole religion thing, I thought that subtext Baltar was, was so more, much more interesting in uh, the second totally. one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was a three-dimensional character. Mm-hmm. Annoying. Uh, well, and so the were the Cylons. <laughs> they had genuine motivations for doing the things that they did. They weren't just pure evil mm-hmm. and out right. to destroy everybody. Yeah. Right. All right, guys. Um, I've Can given... I ask one more question before yeah, we please, finish? Go ahead. Do you guys think that Larson was trying to promote Mormonism? 
Or do you think he just liked it and sprinkled it in? I My personal belief is no. I think he was just using that as a venue, sort of the same way Card does. Well, maybe Card is trying to promote Mormonism these days. I don't know. Card's gone crazy. But um, I, I, I just think he was using it. And I think he was using Greek stuff and, and other things, but he didn't understand them as well. So mm-hmm. it was just... You know, if you read the book of Abraham just, just on a lark, it's a it's a funny little interesting book. So he was just having fun with it. That, that was that's my take. That was the impression I got, and I found a lot of places online where people were saying if Harry Potter's going to be lambasted for being pagan and you know other like Veggie Tales is Christian, why is nobody paying attention to the fact that Battlestar Galactica is preaching Mormonism? And I found one guy who his name is Doctor P. Bradley Carey, and I don't know exactly who he is. I think he's an evangelical guy, and he. Apparently, there's a lot of evangelicals who just hate Battlestar Galactica and think it's like some Mormon plot to like infect people with our propaganda. And he said, um, with all of the small children as well as adults watching the program, there's a great deal of influence being programmed into the viewers' minds later in life, or perhaps even now, the Mormons will come to your door and see the already. And the seed will have already been planted. The Mormons will start telling you about their beliefs and it will somehow sound vaguely familiar to you. The Mormons will then tell you that the spi- that this is the spirit of God telling you that these things are true. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting to show just how no. the greater world, especially in evangelical Christianity, do not trust Mormons at all. Well, they don't see oh, it as just a fun We've thing. heard the same complaint with Twilight is that oh, it's yeah. trying to indoctrinate people. And I think, and I think there may be a pressure with Mormon artists. I mean, um, that there's definitely a pride that you have as a believing Mormon in these stories and your scriptures and the uniqueness that they can offer to the world. And so I think on some level, maybe that pride would would feed into the creative process. Uh, so maybe not actively proselyting, but... Yeah, one ir- irony about that is that the I think there are actually some really strong episodes in, in terms of uh, their artistic value in the original Battlestar series. But the ones that didn't work were the religious ones for me, the ones that were being so heavy handed mm-hmm. and, tra- and didactic and things like that. So for me, like it was the religious things that didn't work. I don't know. Mm-hmm. For me, too. But, but if you were a believer, it would probably speak more to you. I mean, a, a, you know, if you were a strong believer all right well thanks everybody it was an interesting discussion go out and see Battlestar Galactica um, especially the new series yeah definitely all right uh, Elisa Heather Zilpha Trevor good night oh, Travis, Travis. Tra- oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry good night everybody good night thanks good night. Travis